Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 397. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Persia. I'm the audio producer. Triple P, perturbed producer, Persia, she's here. Incredibly, incredibly excited. I'm so blessed to be here. Thank you for having me on. Oh, you're so welcome. Uh, so, dear listener, you may be asking, wait, what's going on? Uh, well, let's see. It is a wild week. We are recording this a full week early, the same day that our last episode released because it is a hectic time. Lorraine fell ill today. She yeah. would be here, but she is sick. She can make it done. And James is super duper busy. I think he is like singing and dancing all across the city. Yeah, he said he had a gig, which I love. Like, <laughs> so nice to have gigs. <laughs> uh, and so we enlisted the only person that made sense, Persia. She has been here for how long you been at the A year. I got my little, I don't know if you know this. The well. Pin. I don't know if listeners know this. We get pins however long you've been at Disney. Um, one year, five years. What are the milestones? 10, 15. 10, you get a cool plaque. I don't remember what five was. Yeah. It's been a long time for so that. So one year is little Steamboat Mickey. Yeah. That's real cool. So you've now been on 50-ish episodes of This Week in Marvel, oh, 50 yeah. episodes of The Pull List. You know your stuff. <laughs> you A little behind the scenes, whenever we record The Pull List, Persia is reading comics. She's listening, paying, actually paying attention, and also reading comics while we're doing it. It's fascinating. Or when we're doing our deep dives, I watch, I like, I'll look over, and you're reading the issues that we're talking about, and like giving comments, making hand gestures, doing your thing. Well, you're essentially selling the comics, and yeah. I'm, I'm buying. You know, that is the greatest compliment. A captive audience. Is totally, what you've got. Yeah. Uh, so we're gonna roll on this train, Persia and I. I will say. All things, I'm, fing- I'm crossing my fingers, Lorraine and James will hopefully show up later in the episode. You'll have to stay tuned. Yeah, we'll see what we can do. Yeah. Um, but we've got some top news to get to. First things first, X-Men Dark Phoenix is out right now. Lorraine and I hosted the Red Carpet World premiere in Hollywood. And uh, you can rewatch that on Marvel.com and on our YouTube. Uh, also, make sure to get your tickets now for the film. Yeah, it's... I haven't I haven't actually done the thing yet. Yeah, oh my god, how was it, Ryan? Oh That's my so god. Exciting. <laughs> uh I did pick up my suit this afternoon. Oh yeah. Uh I've chosen I, I, I utilized some uh some fashionistas to help me pick the right pocket square. I bought three different pocket squares. Who are the fashionistas? Brandon Ansel. Okay, great. And Head uh, Bridget. of video. Bridget, operations manager. Yep. Fashionistas. Fashionistas uh, both. And so they chose uh a they chose, like, I don't know, a reddish color because they would go well with a copper in Lorraine's dress. Oh, okay. Oh, Lorraine's not wearing her wedding dress to the <laughs> premiere, which I suggested. You did suggest it. TBD. We'll see. All right. But uh, so that's going to go great. It's going to go wonderful. And I uh, hope you have tuned in for that and go see the movie. And the next week is E3, which one of the reasons why I love having Lorraine on the show, she reminds me that not everyone knows everything yeah. all the time. What is E3? Right. It is the electronic... Entertainment Expo, I believe. Three E's. Yep, it's the three E's. It's always been E3. I've been going for like 10 years. So to me and to, to video gamers, it is so normal. But we don't. We have listeners who love every part of Marvel. Right. So here's my question about E3. Yes. It's during the week. Yes. So it's generally not for, or is it like more geared towards, I don't know, like people who make the video games, people who are trying to sell the video games than fans? This is a great question. Yeah. Because the sort of reasoning, the the... Everything about E3 has shifted over the course of time. There, there wasn't an E3 up until like 15 years ago, I think, is when the first one started, give or take. Uh, before that, it was just consumer, uh, like the consumer products expos that happened over the course of the year had video games in them. Then E3 came in as dedicated video game shows, and they were industry only. Yeah. And so it would be journalists. It would be your retail people who want to go and see, oh, what is the next big video game? Why I should buy millions of copies for my stores, blah, 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 blockbusters and such. So over time, that remained the same up until maybe two years ago. They started opening up tickets for fans. And gotcha. I kind of think it's great because I think it's a fun experience. It's like Comic-Con right. in, in some ways. Like, you should go once if you have the opportunity. Biggest video game extravaganza of the year for us, and that is next week. I am very excited because Marvel's Avengers is going to be at the Square Enix live event 
and you know there's going to probably be more. Stay tuned. At the point where we're recording, I can't say a dang thing, but be sure to follow me at Agent M and at Marvel Games on Twitter for all the good details. But look for special E3 action from us here on the show. Um, we're going to have some fun stuff for this week of Marvel. Yeah, a bonus and hopefully in the main. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, okay, we got to get into the rest of the show because what is our big talk this week? Our big talk this week is about Coolin Gath. Gath? I've always said Goth. Goth. I want to say Garth is really my problem. I really want to put the R. It's probably Gath, but I always found it Coolin Goth. Coolin Goth. Um, who I had never heard of until you were like, Coolin Goth is in Savage Avengers. We have to talk about him. Which, I mean, like, why? Because, you know, a million characters sort of peek out in every book every week. Why did, why was this one you wanted to grab onto? Two reasons. One, because Coolin Goth comes from the Conan universe, the Conan comics, which now you're trans, you're like bringing him into the main Marvel universe. There's a history there that hasn't been seen in a while. And I thought that was really interesting. And then two, Jerry Duggan lost his mind in the one of the editorial retreats because uh, we were talking about Conan comics and, and doing those again. When it was first really explored in the room, he's like, does that mean we can use Cool and Goth? Remember that issue? He's like started talking about these issues of Uncanny X-Men. And Vibrating. I, yeah, essentially. And his passion for it made me so excited. Great. And so I knew he loved it. And with him with Cool and Goth showing up in one of Jerry's books, I was like, let's do it. Let's get it. Fortunately, we're getting Jerry. We're getting Jerry Duggan. Yeah, it's going to be very exciting. And then our interview this week, because it's not a proper interview with Jerry. It's just a chat about Coolin. Our interview this week is with Indian comedian and actor Veer Das. He came in. He was great. He was like super into, I mean, we have such a huge, I think, South Asian fan base that I, I'm not sure people in the U.S. really appreciate how intense it is. And I think, well, he was born there and now he works in the U.S. as yeah, an actor. Yeah, yeah. He was just on an ABC show. He has yeah. a Netflix special. Yeah, he's a comedian. Yeah. And so I think like him sort of giving us that opportunity to talk about that and to talk about that huge part of the Marvel Universe and also that fan base was super cool. Totally. But that's coming up later. Right now, we've got to get to things we're hyped about this week, comma. Including in- news. Oh, I was so happy you did that. No one ever does it with me. Really? Yeah. <laughs> you're, really? You sit here every week. You know nobody ever does it with me. I think Lorraine's done it. Not no. yet. All right. Well, we'll see. But thank you for doing that. <laughs> um, as I said at the top of the show, we're recording this very early. I only have one bit of news, which hopefully will not be cut and everything will go along smoothly. And that is that there's a new trailer for Marvel's Jessica Jones Season 3. You can watch it on Marvel.com and check out the season once it arrives on Netflix June 14th. But, like I said, we're recording so early, I don't have a lot of news to give you guys. So, make sure you go to Marvel.com for all of your news. And now, for this week in Marvel history. Thank you, Persia, for bringing us into this section. We are talking about the week of June 7th through the 13th across all 80 years of Marvel history. We're going to start June 13th, 1956, because Jimmy Woo makes his debut in the pages of Yellow Claw number 1 way back in those Atlas days. He'd come back later in the Silver Age. We talked about that, I think, last week. And then uh, he'll really make a splash in recent decades with Agents of Atlas and on the silver screen. I remember being at Comic-Con when they were like, Jimmy Woo is going to be in Ant-Man. He's going to be in Ant-Man and the Wasp. Randall Park. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. June 12th, 1962, Doom and Namor team up in Fantastic Four number six. Doom and Namor. How is anything more pure and amazing? Also, the Yancey Street Gang debuts. I like that you read it exactly, and you 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 went as big as you could. It was good. <laughs> as big as I could. I yeah. can go bigger. <laughs> uh, yeah. Look, think about that. Six issues into our first, like, big superhero book, and you get... Namor and Doom, the two best sort of like monarch villains teaming up for the first time. Of course, it goes awry, but I love that. There's so much energy at this point. It's it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, they're the biggest guys that are like, I'm here for my people and like no one else matters. And I don't know. They locked eyes across the room and they were like, you're also a monarch who only cares about <laughs> your people. You're, you're writing the book that I need. It's so good. <laughs> uh, we're going to dive over to June 11th, 1963, which is a whopper. Of a week, Sandman and Betty Brant debut in Amazing Spider-Man number four. Uh, has Steve Ditko the way he draws Sandman freaks me out. It just like 
the way he like draws the sand falling. It's so cool. In Fantastic Four number 18, the Super Scroll, Clert, first appears. Super Scroll is great. He's like, uh, your powers, your powers, your powers, your powers. Got him. And he has all the powers of the Fantastic Four. Oh, I was just thinking his name for some reason sounded like Kurt to me. And I was like, <laughs> Super Scroll Kurt. <laughs> I love that guy. <laughs> Good old Kurt. Um, June 6, 1964, Hawkeye, a.k.a. Clint Barton, debuts in Tales of Suspense number 57 in a story by Stan Lee and Don Heck. And then, well, I guess the, fir- the, same, the same day. Same day. Diablo, the Fantastic Four's most well-known and dangerous alchemy-based villain, first appears in Fantastic Four number 30. What do you mean by alchemy-based? So his thing, his thing is is alchemy. is like mixing, you know, a, a chemical and, a, and a, an element. He's got and, like an apothecary, like in like a, essentially, a trench coat? Like what's more that? or less. <laughs> he's like, I, I believe he is like a from centuries before and he used alchemy. He's got a weird hel- like helm. It's not a helmet. It's not really a hat. Okay. Like a mask. Uh, all right. Let's go over to June 11th, 1964, because the Sinister Six, one of the greatest villain teams in comics history, debuts in the Amazing Spider-Man annual number one. This first iteration of the team is Dr. Octopus, Electro, Craven, Mysterio, Sandman, and Vulture. And, you know, that's 64, two years after Spidey's first appearance. Still early for all of these characters. He's still a child. A child has to go up against six murderous adult men. When you, like, think about it, like, Dr. Octopus is an adult man who would later go on to nearly marry Aunt May. Craven is a vicious, like, hunter man. Yeah, but with a great shawl. Oh, the best. Luxurious. Oh, just, he is tremendous. Like, it is terrifying. The idea of the Sinister Six is terrifying. I love that team. Yeah, it's messed up. Someone else, big nemesis of uh, Peter Parker, Cool and Goth. Yes, indeed. Now you know. <laughs> now I know. You, you're all learned That's at this point. That's just like such a weird nemesis situation. Those don't match up to me at all. No. Did reason. you did you get to read the Uncanny X-Men issues? Um, yes, the one where they're in New York City. Yeah. Yeah. Where everyone gets like sexy fantasy outfits except yeah, for Spider-Man, right. we like they that. never explain why it's, he like doesn't want Spider-Man to have a fancy like. F- no, because he just wants revenge, and then he murders Spider-Man. Yeah, but well, then they go back in time. And it's yeah, but fine. he's still like that. That we're gonna get into he's this. He's also Jerry. like on the cross. Yeah. Oh, he crucified. The '80s were full of crucifixions in the X-Men. <laughs> I didn't know that. Oh yeah, Wolverine is crucified for like three issues. Why are people? What? Angel is crucified oh, Angel by his wings. Oh, Angel being crucified, yes, I've seen that. Uh, but anyway, let's dig back into the history. I can't stop thinking about crucifixion. June 8th, 1967, Walter Newell debuts in Tales to Astonish number 95. He'd later go on to become Stingray. I still believe that Stingray has one of the coolest costumes. Stingray and Eel, um, they both, you know, in, within this week that we're talking about. Stingray, I don't know, I think it was when I was at Wizard, somebody like broke down the costume and the way it looked and how he looks like a uh, like a kind of like a stingray itself and it is this aerodynamic underwater costume it's red and white it's very like it just something it turns something on in your your brain it's, is there a man ray i don't know i don't know if there's a man ray stingray's great okay good yeah. june 11th 1968 Ultron's first full appearance is in Avengers number 55. Uh, We talked about it, I believe, that technically he was in number 54, but he was as the Crimson Cowl, and he pulls off the the mask, and they're like, Whoa, you're a robot! It's so good. Uh, And then the Phantom Eagle debuts in Marvel Super Heroes number 16. June 8th, 1971, the freaky deaky six-armed Spidey debuts in Amazing Spider-Man number 100. That's a good issue to uh, grow a couple extra arms in. Yeah. I hate that cover. Because his part of it is his regular arms are still there and they're in the costume. But then he grows two super swole regular arms. And they just four, four more. He, yeah, that's how many arms. Yeah. He, he has all these arms that come out and they just, it looks so wrong. I love it. All right, we're going to talk more Spider-Man now with June 12th, 1973, because John Jameson, who'd actually been around since the beginning of the series, makes his first appearance as Man-Wolf in Amazing Spider-Man number 124. Yeah. Son of J. Jonah Jameson. I don't think I 
only know Manwolf because of that um, Carnage run. Was it Carnage? Where they like go into the tunnels yep. and they're like constantly trying to kill. And, yeah. and all of a sudden they're like, who is this guy? He turns into a werewolf. Yeah. Which he does it because of a rock he got when he was in space. I yeah. Believe. It kind of made me think of like Juggernaut. It's kind of like a. It, it does look like the Crimson Gem yeah. of Sidorak. I was like, Sid, another Sidorak? No, not quite. Uh, <laughs> but like, what a what a disappointment for his son. <laughs> oh, he was an astronaut who <laughs> saved people's lives and just by chance got turned into a man wolf. One That's not a disappointment. Giant step for mankind. <laughs> One small step for man wolf. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, all right, we gotta keep moving on. June 7th, 1977, Rocket Racer debuts in the pages of Amazing Spider-Man number 172. I put this on here specifically because I think this may be the first Spider-Man issue that Nick Lowe has read. Like, Rocket Racer, not a very well-known character, but uh, I just think it's fun to know, like, our friends and our colleagues, like, where they th- their touch points are. Um, and then the same week, Ms. Marvel number 9 gives us Deathbird, who is a l- badass lady uh, warrior of the Shi'ar, and I just love the Shi'ar. We were talking about the Shi'ar during the Jean Grey chat, and you did this thing to show they are bird people, and it was so good. And that is exactly how it looks. Like, the hands little, over your head. Yeah, they have little, like, fanned-out head feathers. They, like, yeah. all are essentially wearing headdresses of feathers. But that's their head. That's, 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 that's just their... The way their hair grows out of their head. Their plumes. <laughs> their plumes. Yeah. Does she also love Charles Xavier? Ugh, Thankfully, no. Okay. I'm like, she are the alien race that came to Earth to all crush on Charles Xavier. Bunch of dummies. Get <laughs> off of that guy. They're, I think they're done with having plumes. They want bald heads. <laughs> oh, look, it's so shiny. And, oh, my God. Smooth heads. What an idea. <laughs> June 9th, 1987, one of the coolest, weirdest, most awful X-Villains debuts in Uncanny X-Men number 221. Ryan, who is it? Mr. Sinister. Love the lipstick, the thigh-high boots, the weird cape, the teeth. He's got a look. He's got a look. I, what, the 80s were weird, yo. The X-Men in the 80s is full of amazing costumes. And Sinister's thigh-high boots on a superhero is one of my favorite odd things. Chef's kiss. Colossus. He just like, can you picture him in the morning just being like, mm, pulling him up, and like the metal scraping from his, his like hand scraping on his leg. No, thank you. Oh, I love it so much. But Sinister yeah. makes a choice. He's like, I'm going to cut my cape in the strips. Do, 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 do. <laughs> and somehow it stays like stiff and like up and down. And then he puts on his lipstick. He yeah. files his teeth. Oh, he's a terrible, terrible villain, but really... Fantastic. There's a run of X-Men by Kieran Gillen where he did some really great stuff with Sinister. Highly suggest that. Yeah. I think he's um, top five names on the nose for me, like kind of like Dr. Evil. Like he's like... Apocalypse. Yeah. Dr. Doom. Dr. Doom is also so great. a good one. That's Mr. Sinister to you. <laughs> There's also a Miss Sinister. <laughs> I love that too. Yeah. Um, June 13th, 2008, The Incredible Hulk, Marvel Studios' second film opens in theaters. I... I, I I still like the heck out of this movie. I didn't see it. You haven't seen it? No. You should. Yeah. I might as well go back. Yeah. Do my big rewatch a month late. (laughs) You just got 22 to go. Oh, boy. Uh, And then finally for Twim History, June 7th, 2019. Hey, that's today. X-Men Dark Phoenix opens in theaters. Dark Phoenix. Dark Phoenix. Yeah. Jean Grey gets super angry. She does. She really, really does. And sad. And sad. Super angry, super sad. Super powerful. Super super angry, super sad, super powerful. The Jean Grey story. <laughs> or the Hulk story. Sometimes the Thing story. I, mean, I think it's it, you could go far. Yeah. You could keep going. Totally. Totally. Uh, that's our history stuff. We got to talk about the top books from this week's episode of Marvel's The Pull List. Those include War of the Realms, number five, Black Cat, number one, Dead Man, Logan, number eight, and Meet the Skrulls, number five. It's a good week. All right, guys, remember when I said James and Lorraine will be on the show? Here they are, because we got super excited the other day when we heard that M&M's would be our advertiser on the show, and we just had to talk about it. Here we go. Thanks to our advertiser uh, for the show, which is M&M's Hazelnut Spread. And uh, 
James, when you saw this, you were like, I got excited. I got excited, y'all. I mean, don't get, I don't get, I get excited about a lot of things. I get excited <laughs> about wrestling. I get excited about Marvel. I get excited about musicals, but I get excited about food. Um, let me tell you something, man. If you like hazelnut spread, you will love these M&Ms. It is, it is amazing. The crunch is amazing. The hazelnut inside is fantastic. It is ridiculous. There, You will not be able to eat just one. I'm telling you that right now. So just go out and try it. They are finally, hazelnut is going where no hazelnut has gone before. Inside of M&Ms, chocolate candies. Trust me. It's everything the M&M wants. Just trust, trust the person who eats a lot of things that are high in calories. Dear M&M's, we need a bowl of these hazelnut M&M's to put on the table while we record episodes. Yes, yes See, we do. I think of hazelnut spread as something I would have in the morning, which is why I need morning M&M's. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Finally, yeah, I'm, they've I'm, cracked I'm, I'm one the of those, breakfast I'm one, those, I'm one of those people that just eat the M&M's in the morning. You shouldn't. <laughs> but just, I, I won't lie. Like, because you eat the breakfast and you're like, cool, I'm done. You you know, wash the dishes, put them, put them away, and then you go past the bag and go, I will just have a handful of those and then walk out the door. <laughs> so, I, yeah, guys, thanks thanks again, M&M's. Thanks, you, M&M's. Give us some candy. Love you. All right. Look, see you guys? You got a little James. You got a little Lorraine. Everybody's happy. And more importantly... Thank you again to M&M's. More M&M's. Give us the hazelnut spread. It's like a treat within a treat. I don't have it. They actually give us taglines. I don't know why I tried to make something up. (laughs) (laughs) So great. All right. It is time for Big Talk. And that means we got to dial in Mr. Jerry Duggan. Jerry Duggan, how the hell are you? I'm great. How are you? I am stupendous. So (laughs) you write Savage Avengers, among many other titles. And in issue number two, which just came out this week that this episode is going live, Kulan Goth has returned. I want to know why you wanted to put Kulan Goth in the comic. He was a, a villain that I just didn't get enough of growing up. And, you know, there were uh, times when, uh, you know, the goth drought was real. You know, I, I fell in love with him in Conan and then uh, back again when uh, he invaded the Marvel Universe uh, in X-Men during the Claremont years. I think it's 191 and 192. It might be 190, 191. But uh, what can I say? I love evil wizards. Uh, that was also a, a centerpiece of uh, the Savage Sword of Conan that I just finished with Ron Garney. We had a cool wizard uh, here. The fun thing about Kulingoth right now and his return is he seems to be a little more cosmically aware, uh, which is a, a cool place to uh, to position Kulingoth. Uh, you know, he's here, he has a plan, and uh, he's executing it pretty flawlessly, at least through two issues of Savage Avengers. Amazing. All right. So what I wanted to do, this is one of our big talk, a little bit of a, a dive into who Kulan Goth is, because I think, you know, you have experience with him from reading those books. But as you said, there's been a bit of a goth drought over the last, you know, bunch yeah. of years. So I wanted to give our listeners a bit of a, a history lesson on who Kulan Goth is. So I'm going to roll through. You feel free to jump in whenever you feel. But Kulan Goth first appears in a Conan story by Roy Thomas and Barry Windsor Smith, which I found fascinating because it's alongside the Michael Moorcock character, Elric of Melnabone, who, you know, Moorcock, he's super famous uh, in his own right, um, and he actually plotted these two issues. So Goth is in here. He's using magic to bring an evil power to life, sort of that's his shtick. He ends up getting killed by said power. Also, as I've seen in the the issues that I've read, kind of his shtick. Uh, He's a big old nerd. But Goth would be (laughs) out of the books. Cool and Goth's kryptonite is cool and Goth. That is the perfect explanation. That is so true. And those happen, those issues, those like, um, I believe that's issues 14 and 15 of the original Conan the Barbarian series. That's like 1971, 72. So he would be out of the books, any books, until December's 1979's Marvel team-up number 79. And this one is real fun. It's by Chris Claremont and John Byrne. And it'd been a few years for us as readers, but for Goth, it was millennia. He actually ends up possessing a security guard at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City because he had magically put his soul into a necklace, a little fancy soul amulet, and he entrances the security guard to pick up the amulet and then takes over the poor guy's body. Yeah, the 
the security guards at Marvel's Manhattan never get enough pay. I hope they have good death benefits. They are usually the the first responders, uh, and it all goes wrong for that poor guy. He touched the amulet and became cool and god. Yeah, poor schmo. Uh, but this is a Spider-Man story, so it's real interesting because Spidey is there, but Mary Jane also happens to be there, and Spidey yep. ends up starting to fight some demons, and so she's like, oh no, I'm going to help. She picks up a sword, and wouldn't you know it, the sword turns her into Red Sonia, one of Cool and Goth's arch nemeses. So she, Red Sonia, was actually the one who cut Cool and Goth's heart out. He, part of the fun of Cool and Goth is that he's pretty much immortal, and he gets beheaded, he gets exploded, he gets disintegrated, he gets his heart cut out, but he keeps coming back. So Sonya was the one who literally cut out his heart. Uh, she rules. Anyway, Spider-Man and Red Sonya fight the Nagari, who are the same type of demon who are in the Uncanny X-Men number 143 issue, the Christmas Kitty Pride horror issue, one of my favorite stories, and then the two of them save the day. One of the fun things, Jerry, that I found when I was doing the research on Cool and Goth is that part of his shtick was trying to control other evil powers. One of the powers that Cool and Goth wanted to control was Shumagorath, who is the giant, uh, you know, like nameless, bodiless monster, sick. He, like, he's, he looks like a Slimer if, uh, if he had been sort of conjured by uh, Lovecraft. You yeah. Know, the, the idea that the. Uh, He's got a big giant eye and uh, tentacles. And uh, yeah, definitely one of the things that uh, I think readers should keep an eye on is uh, is looking for that name in, in Savage Avengers, too. Ooh, I like that. That's very exciting. It's really fun stuff. And uh, even though it, it doesn't appear that uh, that amulet is in Savage Avengers right now, so the, the old one, he is here with some new jewelry. Uh, there's the third eye of Agamotto now is is uh, something that he seems to be pretty keen on. And it, it has an important role to play in the uh, short term. And that artifact will also be uh, a fun mystery that will uh, head into the second arc of Savage Avengers. Ooh, I like that tease. Yeah. You know, a, a, a sorcerer uh, on the Marvel stage of that magnitude you would think would draw uh, the attention of some other sorcerers uh, into the the Savage Avengers, and who, of course, hates wizards and hates magic, Conan. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, so we're, yeah, we're trying to really, um, you know, give everyone uh, a lot to be upset about in the pages <laughs> of the book so that hopefully readers will be thrilled beyond belief. Heck yeah. You know, our producer, Persia, she asked me, like, what are some of our favorite Cool and Goth moments and issues and runs? And part of the fun of this is that there are so few actual Cool and Goth appearances that tie to the Marvel Universe. You've got Conan the Barbarian 14 and 15. There might be some scattered issues, but really it's not until like 253 of the original Conan series and then 256 through 260 where he really has a big role. Then the Marvel team-up issue, Uncanny X-Men um, issues. 188 and 189 are like preludes with little things with the, the necklace. And then 190 yeah. and 191 are the big he takes over New York City issues. He then shows up in um, the early 2000s with Avengers issues 28 through 30. And then we actually did a Spider-Man Red Sonja team up book with Dynamite Entertainment, which is, is really neat and has them team up again. And I believe he, he messes with Venom and the symbiote for a while. And there's a whole bunch of twisted cool and goth versions of Spider-Man villains in there. It's pretty gnarly. That's really cool. Yeah, uh, you know, for me, uh, all of those things, you really, I, I think a bunch of this is, is on Marvel Unlimited uh, for people that have that subscription. I know the X-Men issues are, and that's sort of the Cadillac for, for me. Those were issues that I recall reading and really like, you know, battering these comics as I, you know, reread them. You know, I, I, that was something that I wish could have been more than two issues. That's, I think, why it occupies such a special place in my memory and i didn't want to retell that story but i did want to bring cool and goth forward when when marvel got the conan license back and the ability to have uh, conan interact with the marvel universe the first question i asked tom brevoort 
uh, my editor was, I said, does this mean that all of those Hyborian characters, you know, I was al- almost more interested in, in Cool and Goth, uh, or I was as interested in Cool and Goth as I was interested in Conan. Uh, he's such a great foil. And uh, if you don't love to hate Cool and Goth, I promise you will by the end of the Savage Avengers story. It's a pretty long tale. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm trying to tell fun one-and-done comics, but we are, you know, going to see Cool and Goth moving through uh, the first, uh, especially the first year of Savage Avengers is, is you know, that he's our big bad, and uh, now that he's on the stage, everyone should be worried. Ah, that makes me so happy. I'm glad you're able to fulfill this uh, this desire within you. And for me, those Uncanny X-Men issues, the cover to 190, I think it is, uh, is the one where you have Kool and Goth on the cover and it says, Scream, Xavier, Scream. And he has morphed Xavier with Caliban. It is Yeah, with Caliban. It's, it's one of those images that you'll never unsee. It's haunted it's... me since I was a child. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Well, and you sort of mentioned this before. Not everyone makes it out of that story. Uh, you know, there's some really hard stuff that happens to some of these characters. And in the end, you know, even our Sorcerer Supreme was only able to sort of turn the tide by teaming up with with magic. Yeah. You know, this was not a uh, this was not a uh, a day that the Avengers necessarily won. And I think. You know, I am trying to keep that in mind. You know, he, I understand that, uh, you know, that this is a, a story that will be big in scope. It starts in Savage Avengers, and as things, as they resist Cool and Goth, it may be that some of these characters could find out that they are in a, a pretty difficult no-win situation. I love that. Yeah, they to what you said before, Cool and Goth's greatest enemy is himself every time he essentially is the reason he loses the the heroes they they don't win he murders spider-man he crucifies and then murders spider-man i think captain america is nearly killed most of the x-men are killed that story is brutal and yeah it's only two issues it's such compressed storytelling that could have been six or seven issues easy i think yeah i think today uh it probably would have been unpacked a little bit but back then at the clip they were going and with only 12 issues a year you know that was that was it you know they had other things to do but look at the gift it gave us you know we spent years sort of wishing that pages were comics and that comics were trade paperbacks so you know i'm always grateful for a story that that gets stuck in my imagination that always has me asking what if because i've asked a lot of questions uh, uh you know about goth and uh, i've gotten a lot of yeses from marvel and from the conan properties uh, folks who are a, a true joy to to work with they're just as excited as we are that there are uh new stories with these characters and uh you know i i do i just try to have fun on the page so that the artists will have fun so that hopefully that that translates and a lot of the fun is uh you know being the lorax that speaks for the evil and uh, uh, Goth is a really wonderful instrument to be cruel to some of these characters. Uh, in particular, he and uh, Voodoo will have a, uh, an interesting relationship uh, moving forward. I love it. Uh, Jerry, we're about to get, let you go, but I do want to say in Savage Avengers number two, you had one of my favorite moments of the year with Wolverine opening up Voodoo's chest to expose his heart cutting his own hand to make himself bleed and then squeezing Voodoo's heart to help him come back to life. It is one of the most twisted things and it is beautiful and I love you for it. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, Diodato and Frank Martin Jr. did such a wonderful job on a, a really tough ask. You know, uh, I, I feel like if it was just wall-to-wall savage fighting, that's great. But what? how else can we embody the word savage? And I think what Logan does to sort of shock uh his warrior buddy back to life hopefully i'm glad that you think it'll be mentioned at the end of the year i know i'm a, a tourist through the marvel universe and i'm just trying to leave a bruise on on all these characters so i'm glad uh i'm glad you got a a, a lot of fun out of that one it was brutal to look at heck yeah all right jerry thanks so much always good talking to you 
Oh, of course. Take care. Let's uh, let's keep talking as uh, as Savage Avengers brawls through the Marvel universe, and we roll in new characters and say goodbye to some other ones. Let's uh, let's keep talking. Anytime you want to look me up and talk evil wizards, you know where to find me. All right, I'll, I'll catch you on the next Evil Wizards corner. <laughs> All right, take care, buddy. Later. One more time, big thank you to Jerry. Make sure you pick up Savage Avengers number two, available now, uh, and read everything Jerry's doing. Yeah. He's got a lot of books. I read um, some of Savage Co- Savage Swords of Conan. Savage, yeah. Conan's Savage Sword. Savage Sword of Conan. <laughs> the Savage Sword that Conan owns by Jerry Duggan. Oh, boy. <laughs> we're, 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 we're falling off. Yeah. Um, well, it was awesome. It's I've, great, right? Yeah, I'd never read any Conan before. Like, uh, you know, when we started publishing it, essentially, a couple yeah. months ago. Same. That's my first Conan. Uh, all right. Time for our interview. It is with Indian comedian and actor uh, extraordinaire Veer Das. We talk about you know all kinds of fun stuff. Um, he has a little bit of a cold, sinus infection when we record, but he was tremendous. Let's go to that interview. Veer, how are you? I'm good. I'm happy to be in New York. Yeah. You just did Earth's Mightiest Show with Lorraine and Langston, right? It was, it was very dramatic. It was oh, fun. Yes. I heard you did a dramatic reading. We did a... Uh, I, I, to call it dramatic would be an understatement. <laughs> I, I think it was a marvelously, fantabulously dramatic reading. I like but, that. Yeah. Uh, so the way we... I always start things off on This Week in Marvel is to find out what is your Marvel origin story in the sense of... How did you first get exposed to Marvel characters, stories? Was it a, a comic book, a movie, a TV show, a cartoon, a toy? You know, everybody has a different way in. So I'm late, I think, to the party uh, because, like, like growing up, my uh, big comic book fan, but more an Asterix and Tintin guy. Sure. Just because yeah. uh, in India, those two were very, very big, and I grew up in Mo- India around the world. Right? They're huge. So uh, heavily influenced by those two things, and then. My induction was being like a Robert Downey Jr. fan, mm-hmm. you know, because like that's a, a life story that I, li- I really like. Mm-hmm. You know, I think he's having like the second innings of the century, Yeah, you know, and coming back from where he was. So when I saw Iron Man, I was just like, oh, my God, what an amazing break for this man whose work I've loved for so long. And he kind of got me into the MCU. Yeah. So, yeah. I think that works for a lot of people. You yeah. know, more and more we're seeing that. And then people find their way through other characters mm-hmm. and stuff. And yeah. it's pretty great. Uh, is he is Iron Man your favorite Marvel character? No, I I, I kind of like the Guardians of the Galaxy gang. Like I, I I'm all about superheroes that are flawed and kind of sure. salty and 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 don't quite like each other, or get <laughs> along just yet. Um, Marvel's the right place for you. You know, so less swag, more saltiness is kind of like what I like in a superhero and trying to figure their stuff out. So. For that reason, I like the Guardians gang. Is it the, those movies are your favorites of the MCU? Because 22 movies, there's like kind of something for everyone. I'm fascinated to see what people connect to past their characters or like there's so many things. I mean, for me, I, I think the the three big ones, if I had to pick one would be Guardians. The first part, uh, Ragnarok would be just for writing, yeah. you know, where they were just like, hey, screw it, you know, <laughs> and, and kind of went wherever they wanted to go. Sure. I felt like that was pure imaginative writing. And then I think Civil War. I like Civil War as a movie as well. So that those are my three that I like. What about Civil War gets you? Uh, just the the balance of darkness with action. And like I said, I like flawed superheroes. Yeah. It was nice to see Iron Man flawed and not just swagalicious all the time. You know what I mean? <laughs> like just going for the cool line. It was nice to see him break. Sure. I like that. Swagalicious. We need yeah. to use that more often. <laughs> so I, I I also I saw that you were on Conan recently. Yes, I was. Um, you were talking about how you wanted to be a Marvel superhero. Yes, your pitch was the brown cow. <laughs> I was just messing around. You but know, it, I, you know, uh, it was but fun. I think, yeah, you know, th- there's room for like a, a witty, funny, kind of flawed Indian superhero. Yeah, you know, I, I like the fact that. Uh, within the MCU specifically, as opposed to other universes, uh, superheroes get to have a sense of humor about being superheroes. And I think that that's something an Indian person would do well. Yeah. You know. So I, I was thinking about this and thinking about the Indian superheroes or Indian American superheroes mm-hmm. and even some supervillains that we have at Marvel, particularly in the comics. And I okay. wanted to throw some of these out at you, let you know that this world and let your fans know the mm-hmm. world is really expansive okay. uh, for Marvel. And I think you already know one of them. Raz 
Malhotra. Malhotra, yeah. Raz Malhotra, who's Indian American. Mm-hmm. Um, he's currently Giant Man in our comics. So okay. super brilliant dude. He uses Hank Pym's growing formula, and he's in our War of the Realm story, okay. uh, sort of helping defend the world from Frost Giants and other bad guys. Mm-hmm. He's great. Raz is So he's great. a giant. He can be a giant. Which would be good for Indian men to play. Uh, <laughs> I, I think just given the average height of our population, so that'd be a pretty good boost to the self-esteem. Sure. Yes. Well, we have a, a more diminutive uh, superhero, uh, Pinpoint. Okay. Pinpoint is awesome. Pinpoint is a member of the Champions, mm-hmm. um, who uh, Kureshi Gupta mm-hmm. from Delhi, who has the ability to teleport. And he's a kid, like maybe 12, 13 years mm-hmm. old. And in recently in the comics, he's just been teleporting around the world. Like he like teleport, meet Captain America, be like, "Oh my gosh, really nice to meet you. Gotta go." Teleport his team and help. Wonderful superhero. And he's only been around six months, maybe. He's great. Can I tell really? you why I think that's cool? Please. It's the one Indian who doesn't need a visa to travel everywhere. Because <laughs> for us, visas are such a problem. <laughs> so just to be able to skip immigration at JFK, my God, oh, what a man. privilege. That'd you be know? great. Yeah. Uh, and you take some friends with you. Yeah. Um, so there's a character named Thunderbird who he was born into an upper class family in Calcutta. But his family, I think his father was like you know, a high-ranking police official. Mm -hmm. He can convert heat into plasma and transform his body into plasma, which I think is really fascinating. Being in Calcutta, it's probably pretty warm. Yeah. Become very powerful. Yeah, like, I think if I had to pick one, uh, like, to play, it'd be between that guy and Giant Man. Giant Man is pretty cool, right? Like Thunderbird and Giant Man. I'd probably go Thunderbird. Because I think you'd have more of a sense of humor as that guy. You sure. Know what I mean? so, yeah. yeah. I, I so. like that. Yeah. Uh, one last one. Indra, he can deploy an exoskeleton armor around him, making him very, very tough. He can then create psychic armor and weapons. Uh, I mean, that's just engineering, though. That's just a really <laughs> strong Indian engineer. It's, that's a mechanical engineer. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. yeah. Now just make the movies. Come on, guys. Yeah. I mean, there's... There's 1.3 billion people ready to watch them. It's a pretty sizable audience. It's pretty good. You know, I think yeah. so. So you play Jai Dada on the ABC show Whiskey Cavalier. Yes, I do, yeah. Um, he is a CIA weapons specialist? Yeah, ex-assassin weapons specialist. Uh, just kind of a, a, a fun, violent character, <laughs> which is cool to play. So which Marvel superhero do you think he'd get along with, team up well with? I think of him as like the he's like the raccoon from uh, from Guardians of the Galaxy, sure. where he's really good with weapons and he's he spent a long time just alone in the field killing people, uh, <laughs> and now he's thrown into like this office workplace environment where he has to deal with relationships and politics and you know you took my coffee mug and you know and, and guns are simple people are complicated that's his his thing so it, it was kind of nice to play. You know, an Indian character specifically who wasn't lovable and who wasn't eager to please, who was just kind of salty and and conflicted and severely flawed, but just really good at his job at the same time. So this is a guy who you want to kill someone, you want to stab someone, you want to plan a mission, he's your guy. But if you want to sit down and have a beer and have a real conversation about how your girlfriend dumped you, he's terrified or something <laughs> like that uh, of emotional interactions. So I think that was fun to play. Yeah. And I it, like it, it's the, good to loosen that over the, the season. Sure. I like connecting him with Rocket. I think that does make yeah. a lot of sense the way yeah. you describe it. How long have you been doing stand-up for? I've been doing it... Okay, really doing it about six years. Mm-hmm. Uh, officially doing it about 11 years. So but what I does think, that mean? I think for the first five, I was... Kind of coasting, to be honest. It was, uh, there's a fair amount of Bollywood work happening. And so it was, you know, two corporates a month. And I think about six years ago, I really sat down and said, okay, I have to get good at this. I have to start working at this. Or I'm going to forget how to do it properly. So I consider myself six years in effort-wise. Uh, so what does that entail? Like saying, all right, I'm going to sit down. I have to work at this, get good. What does working at it for stand-up um, entail? Uh, it was time, you know, I... I had spent a fair amount, five years of my life, just doing three movies a year. And then three movies a year is 12 months a year. You know, so to kind of say, I'm only going to do one, I'm only going to do two, and I'm going to take six months of my year and really focus on on writing and touring. And then also, 
about four years ago started coming out to America because I was like, I need to, you know, if you want to get better at tennis, you play tennis with people who are better than you are. So I need to go to America and I need to go to the UK where, you know, the best in the world are and put myself on stage with them on a Friday night and see if I can match up or if I can just learn from them. So uh, that's kind of how I view it. Yeah. Now, you, know. you were doing three movies a year that's in Bollywood? Yes. What is that like? I, I, I've been on a lot of U.S. sets of, yes. you know, movies and television shows and the speed of things is not always the speediest thing. And I I, I mean, look, I, a, a I full think movie in three months. We're, we're the biggest film industry in the yeah. world, you know, and I think what you guys have in planning, uh, we have in passion, you know, for, for filmmaking. I've always said this is that Marvel doesn't know it, but you're making Bollywood movies. Your movies are these gigantic, escapist, cathartic spectacles. And that's what Bollywood really is. It's a celebration of things beyond your life. If you think about the average Indian man, he has, uh, or woman, uh, they have one thing to do every week with their family, which is on Sunday, they go out in the morning, and, and this is after working hard at whatever job they've done. And on Sunday morning, they'll go and have a movie with the entire family and then have lunch. And that's their one thing that they look forward to. So in those, albeit two and a half, three hours, you need to show them colors and life and vibrancy and explosions and escapism and and really take them away from their daily stresses. Yeah. The plot lines are very dramatic, which Marvel plot lines are. Yeah. Uh, you know, they bend reality and practicality. You know, you know, Bollywood movies, if you show that guy spotlight, he's going to have a rough week. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, so... That's you're making Bollywood movies already. I love it. Uh, and and so, but we get through them quickly. You know, we release eight films a weekend in five different languages. It's the largest industry in the world right now. So yeah, a, a Bollywood film on a high budget film is maybe sixty five days of shooting, ninety days of shooting on a, you know, some of the stuff I was doing, which is, you know, uh, James Franco, Seth Rogen, you know, that kind of mm-hmm. mid budget. High-concept comedies, those are sure. 40, 45 days a movie. You get through three of them in a year. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, so if Marvel ever did a proper Bollywood project, what Marvel characters would you like to see adapted into a Bollywood film? I think Iron Man would be great for Bollywood because he's an engineer, and that's, you know, it doesn't get more Indian than that. I think, um, you know, any Marvel character that is doing it for family would be a, a very good uh, Indian adaptation as well. Uh, so I think Black Panther would be a very good adaptation for India as well. And then I, I think just Hulk, because I'd like to see the Hulk in Mumbai <laughs> stuck in traffic. You know what I mean? I'd, I'd just like to see what he does with that. So yeah. <laughs> I like that. Uh, all right, we're going to wrap up shortly, but uh, you know, your stand-up specials on Netflix? Yes. Right? What are, what are those? Uh, there's two. One is called A Broad Understanding and the, the new one is called Losing It, uh, which is uh, a cool little special about waking up at age 35 and realizing that you need to lose 80% of the stuff in your life. So 80% of these people, things, jobs that occupy you just have to go. So kind of a life restart special. Uh, it's on Netflix right now. What triggered that? It, it was just, I, I woke up at age 35 and I was like, I don't like 80% of these people and I do not like the way I've spent 80% of my time and uh, I don't believe 80% of the things that I used to believe. And I think everybody's kind of had that moment at some point in their life where they're like, I need to figure out who I'm going to be for the next 10 years of my life. Uh, and I need to embrace the fact that that's going to be something completely different than what I was. And that kind of prompted me coming to America four years ago and taking that first flight and saying, hey, let me see if there's some stand-up or something to do. And that kind of led to all this. So, yeah. That's pretty cool. I like that. I like that vibe. Well, uh, listeners, make sure to check out Vera when uh, you're doing more travel, more dates. I'm doing, yeah. So, in the coming weeks, I will be doing uh, Phoenix and L.A. and San Jose and Seattle and D.C. So, yeah. Cool. And then the show is called The Love Tour, which is a big stand-up special about love. And it's going to do a world tour this year. Nice. Awesome. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. It was an honor. Once again, big thank you to Veer. He he was great. 
Trooper for uh, coming in and talking with us on his big, epic, long tour. Uh, it is time for us to get into a little bit of community. We have to give you a question of the week, but because we are so frantic, we don't really have a lot. We, we don't have any responses to last week's question of the week because the episode has only been live for about an hour as the time of us recording. So we're going to stick with that. What is your favorite X-Men movie moment? We're going to keep all the responses. We'll talk about them hopefully next week when... Uh, we have more of the gang all together. Uh, you can tweet your answers using hashtag This Week in Marvel. Email them to twimpodcast at marvel.com or send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash This Week in Marvel. Hey, you didn't answer it, though. No, I was. you guys talked about it the last week and last week's episode, and I was thinking about it. I was trying to figure out what my favorite one was. Hmm. But I think I saw it so young that most of the stuff I remember was, like, the scariest stuff, like the guy that, like, melts. It's the senator. Yeah, he like I guess he's a mutant. I don't know. He he's like No, he's he's they do some weird stuff and and they they force a mutation out of him but his body isn't able yeah, to Yeah, he like destabilizes. Yeah. It was terrifying. It, it was is. like the scene in Matrix when like they put the bug in his belly button, which has no Whoa. no payoff. There's no reason for them to do that in the Matrix. It's like 2 seconds of the plot and it, I thought about it for years. And that was <laughs> that was the Matrix for me. I was like they put the bug in his belly button. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I mean, I loved the X-Men movies as a kid. Yeah. I mean, first class even. I mean, we can go a little farther. That was just like a training sequence of the X-Men was all I had wanted yeah. for years. I know. Or just like give me a montage. Yeah. Of, it's tremendous. Of X-Men powers. Yeah. That whole movie is so good. Yeah. I, I always so forget fun. like Magneto Nazi Hunter yeah. is... Oh boy. That's good. Yep. It's really nice. Real good. So there you go. There's triple P's and uh, we'll wait for yours. We do have one bit of community in here from the boss, Karis Pollard, agent of girl. Amazing. She's every the best. Every time she shows up, she does it for us. Yeah. We she's, love her. She's the best. Uh, so she says, so time to dig in with my new comics. A fairly light one this week. Thanos, Ms. Marvel, and on an Agent M inspired whim. Okay, and The Promise of Wiccan and Hulkling, War of the Realms, War Scrolls. Which leaves my This Week in Marvel of the Week for the magnificent Ms. Marvel. In a gorgeous world of inhumans and aliens, to have it narrated through her mother's eyes brought it back to Earth and added a lot of humor. The different art styles also added different levels to the book. Well said. Lovely. Yeah, glad you dug it. We have to wrap. We do. Ah, we gotta go. <laughs> uh, everybody... Give big thanks to Persia for, for coming in here and pitch hitting and knocking it out of the park. Oh, my God. Podcasting. What a world, huh? <laughs> Never heard of it before, but it, it's pretty cool. All right. Shutting this down. I'm Ryan. I'm Persia. And this is Marvel. Your universe. Your universe.